Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by Spalding University's Sina Jeter Naslund, Karen Mann Graduate School of Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Another member of our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau is our guest today on our Think Humanities uh, podcast. Sarah McCart Jackson uh, is a prolific uh, writer of uh, in many forms. Uh, she also is a uh, uh, not only a poet but a folklorist, a naturalist, um, an educator in uh, many areas, and does a couple of things for Kentucky Humanities that we're going to talk about today. And we're going to ask her to read uh, from her uh, latest book, uh, Stonelight, a little bit later uh, in our conversation. But um, Sarah, welcome and and so glad to to meet you for the first time in person. Thank you so much for having me. This is delightful. What does a um, a poet and a folklorist do on a a hot summer morning in July, uh, humid and uh, um, close to ninety degrees? Uh, how does that affect uh, one's thinking ability uh, as you uh, start your day? Well, fortunately for me right now, I am, uh, I've got a little bit of time during the summer. So I just got back from a writing residency in uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. Uh, So I spent a week in Little Switzerland, North Carolina in a little cabin writing. Um, Because I do have a full-time job during the school year, I like to spend my summers um, doing residencies so that I can keep up my writing habit. So that's what I do during my summers. Yeah, I saw quite a few of those. And I I think uh, although um, I did not plan to ask you about those, uh, I think people would be interested in that those are available. I discovered those a few years ago myself uh, and haven't taken advantage of those. But uh, the the national parks and some uh, state parks, some resorts uh, offer writers an opportunity to come in and and teach or uh, do workshops. Uh, tell us, uh, and and then um, if you applied for uh, a writing, uh, a writer in residence at uh, at Little Switzerland, tell us about that one. That sounds wonderful. Um, so this recent one I did that was at Wild Acres. It is a week long to two week long residency. It's offered for free for artists of all sorts of genres. Um, you have a self-catering cabin, so I had everything I needed at the cabin, but on top of that, at their main campus, it was just a little hike up the mountain, they provided all my meals for me, which is pretty unique for a residency, so that was really, really nice. I also, during different residencies, offer different options, and this one in particular I liked because I could have a solo time riding in the cabin, but then I could also have time where I got to speak with other artists, um, see what they were working on at the same time, get a little inspiration, maybe from artists from different places. There were some from New York City. Uh, There's another woman from Florida. So, and we were all working on different things. So it's really interesting at residencies like that to be able to uh, commune with all the other artists too. And then we've got other residencies like my national park residencies that I've done. So the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, I got to live there for a month um, in the park. 
and I got to interact with guests. They helped me write a collaborative poem. I did that also at Catoctin Mountain National Park, which is where Camp David is actually in Maryland. Um, and so I love doing those national park residencies because you get to interact with the guests that are visiting the park. You get to help them think about the park in new creative ways. And that's really interesting to me as a poet because a lot of people don't think that they like poetry or they don't think they uh, enjoy poetry, but they, once you show them what it's all about, they really flourish. When did you first discover or who introduced you to the uh, writer in residence or the, uh, um, I guess, the invitations to go to the uh, state and national parks? Well, my first residency was Great Smoky Mountains, and I had been a folklorist for them prior to that. So I was collecting oral histories of former residents in the park. So none of our parks existed. Um, without people who had lived there previously. So the Park Service hired me as a folklorist first to do collect the oral histories of the former residents. Um, and I put together a, a walking tour where you can listen to all of the, the stories of the former places where the people were living. And then I just, because of that project, I got to live in the park and work closely with the people, which I love. And so that's how I found out about the artist residency because I'm part folklorist, part poet. And so that's how I found out about it. So I applied, um, they're very tough to get into. So I apply for a lot of different parks, um, but I got that one, so it was amazing. They're tough uh, just because uh, there are uh, so many people applying for so few yes, positions. Highly competitive for sure, because it's a great opportunity. You get to live in the park. Um, it's all free for, for the writer or the artist. And typically the national parks, I will say they prefer visual artists, I would say. So as a writer, it's even a little bit harder. When you were at the, um, the last residency that you just finished, uh, were you writing uh, individual uh, poems or were you beginning to work on a collection? So I'm, I'm currently working on a collection of poems about our place in the land. So my last residencies last summer were at Acadia National Park and Homestead National Park in Nebraska. And Acadia, of course, is in Maine. And so I started writing the poems there, uh, especially staying at national parks. It's interesting to think about our place um, our role as stewards of the environment and of the, the ecosystems, but also that we have altered the parks to serve us how we would like them to. So even though there's wilderness, it's a lot of it is man-made wilderness that we are keeping that way. So the poems I'm working on right now are working around that issue. Who are we in the landscape? We're part of eco the ecosystem as um, human beings. So the poems I was working on last summer and this summer, they all sort of explore that idea of like, what are public lands? Um, what is our responsibility to those lands and that sort of thing? You have an interesting uh, definition or the way you talk about uh, landscapes in just using scapes, mm -hmm. which I, I would imagine uh, I could uh, uh, look that up and find that that's a, a noun and maybe in, in wide use that 
uh, uh, I'm just not familiar with, but you you apply it to um, uh, as a um, a compound word other than just landscapes. So tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about how you use scapes. So uh, I'm not sure that I've ever seen that word used like that, but I've used it because I'm a poet, so I just do what I want <laughs> with words. Uh, what I mean about that is I think, again, being part folklorist and part poet, a lot of that comes into my poetry. When you're studying folklore, it's such a, a variety of genres. You're studying music, but you're also studying material culture like quilts, you're studying vernacular architecture, um, how people live in their homes. So to me, writing about these different scapes, ecoscapes, landscapes, bodyscapes, is a way of uh, exploring the different parts of our humanity that we present to the world. Were you trained as a folklorist? I was, yes. So I have a master's in folk studies from Western Kentucky University. And then, which, which unfortunately just did away yes. with their program. What yes, what what did. can you tell us about that? I'm when when uh, that just occurred, and I'm I'm uh, I was so disheartened to hear about that. And yes. as a graduate of the program, um, it that was must one have... of the best in the whole country. It was one of the best programs in the United States, and we were all just devastated. I think what happened was a lot of our professors retired and the college for whatever reasons, budget reasons, just they were not renewing the positions. Um, so the faculty just were not capable of keeping up with the demand because the, it was a dwindled faculty um, and they weren't getting the help, the support that they needed. What does a folklorist do? It's a great question. Well, and I talk about this in in my talk about folklore and poetry. Folklorists do lots of different things. Um, Folklore consists of a lot of different areas of study. So my personal area of study was in narratives, oral histories, things like that. Um, But a lot of, and I also studied uh, vernacular architecture. So cabins, things like that, but also not just the how to build a cabin, but how people lived in the cabins and what what your home life looked like. Um, Lots of people study folk music, um, anywhere from old time to to modern. I think there's a misconception that folklore just means like old stuff, but that's not really what it is. Folklore is the study of everyday people. It's the study of all of us every day. Um, so folklorists can do anything. There are state folklorists who run state festivals and collect the folklore of the of the state and keep keep that alive. Um, people do um, collecting. A lot of people work in museums and interpret our folk life, our everyday folk life. So, so a variety of jobs. Museum. Yes. Is, is there a chance? Is there an opportunity that? The program there, I, I would imagine any university or college in Kentucky could begin a program that if they don't have it, but uh, starting a program these days uh, is difficult. I, I realize that costly. Um, it uh, If it's not STEM, it's going to even be uh, a, a greater uh, obstacle. Um, I, I really uh, looked into this because I I met someone who told me that uh, 
other than Western, only a couple of other schools in the in the United States maybe now have uh, have schools of folklore. Is that correct? Um, I think there are still a handful. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. But I mean, Westerns was really one of one of the great ones. And the only one in Kentucky. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So were you writing poetry at the time that you were studying folklore? So I was getting, I was working on my MFA from Southern Illinois University in poetry. And I've always been interested in anthropology and poetry at the same time. So during my third year of my MFA, where you're writing your book, um, I started my first year master's at Western. And I remember speaking with the program chair saying, is this going to work for me? Do these things go together? And they do. They really do. So I took an excellent class with Dr. Tim Evans on narrative folklore. And for that class, instead of doing a a big project, like a presentation, I wrote a a bunch of poems based in folklore that I had been learning about. So I was able to do both at the same time and combine them. That was great. Talk to us about uh, the the title of one of your talks for Kentucky Humanities. And by the way, let me uh, tell everyone listening, if you have not heard me, uh, tell uh, everyone how they can uh, get you or any of our uh, many uh, members of the Speakers Bureau, and there are quite a few, uh, kyhumanities.org under Programs, uh, under Speakers Bureau, and you can read uh, about... uh, beekeepers and authors and scholars in history and uh, folk art and just uh, an array of wonderful uh, talks that uh, take place. Uh, Really uh, fascinating and interesting people that can uh, are available to appear at your uh, civic club, uh, your Sunday school, your um, book club, uh, your organization, your rotary club. Um, anywhere across the state of Kentucky or outside of the uh, of the Commonwealth, too. And uh, Sarah uh, McCart Jackson is one of those who joins us today uh, via Zoom. And we're so glad that she's a member of our Speakers Bureau. And one of the talks that she will do for you, uh, if you are um, fortunate enough to invite her and her schedule is free, although it sounds like she's uh, a pretty busy uh, young woman, uh, this uh, talk is called My Old Kentucky Poem, Creating uh, Our Myth Through Folklore and Poetry. And you just mentioned uh, as a folklorist and as a poet, you were uh, uh, combining that in your talk. So tell us a little bit more about what uh, you do in that uh, talk. So for that talk, I start by offering uh, a, a background about what folklore is, because it's not a very well-known topic as far as um, how one would study folklore or folk life. So I give a definition of folklore. Um, I usually start with what we all know about folklore. We tend to think of superstitions. We tend to think of don't step on a crack, break your mother's back. That's like the first iteration of folklore that we all identify with. Then you move on to things like ghost stories, but then also stories that your family's passed down, And then I end with the definition that um, it's the study of who we are as everyday humans. And then I briefly walk through what the different genres of folk studies are. So 
as we discussed earlier, you can uh, think about folklore and narrative, material folklore, music, verbal folklore, like jokes and songs, um, folk beliefs, which we call superstitions, but at folklorists, we call them folk beliefs because they're all valid. And then food ways, which that's a big one. Everybody loves food. Um, and then I talk a little bit about how I use folklore in my poetry. Um, particularly in my book, Stonelight, I'm using Appalachian folklore, which is folklore that I've collected myself as a folklorist and also that I've gathered from my, my own family. Um, and that's pretty much how the talk goes. Are your roots and family uh, in Appalachia? Well, so my immediately immediate family is from, um, well, I'm from Lexington. And then my mother's side of the family is from London, Kentucky. Um, and then we stem back to all sorts of different parts of Eastern Kentucky. So you've been able to, to trace those uh, family members back and, and you include some of that in your in some of your yes. work. Yes, I do. Yeah. Well, uh, before we take a break and hear from our uh, underwriter, uh, Spalding University, uh, you mentioned Stonelight, uh, your uh, book uh, that was published in uh, 2018. I don't think you've had anything published since then. Is that correct? Or are you working on something? Or is I there... had another book called Calf Canyon that was oh. published right after that, just several months after that. Okay. But Stonelight is the one that uh, really uh, brought to some recognition to your work and uh, was quite an award winner uh, uh, in many uh, respects, uh, won some prestigious uh, national awards. Um, if you have that uh, uh, handy and can uh, read a couple of selections or tell us a little bit about the background of that, um, that, that would, uh, we would appreciate that. Sure. So Stonelight is a book of poetry that's a little different than your than a typical collection of poetry, I would say. Um, it follows a narrative arc, much like a novel would. So it follows one particular family in Eastern Kentucky at the turn of the previous century. They are shifting from a um, subsistence economy to a, an extractive resource economy. And so the family followed, or the book follows the family as they make that shift. Um, and I'll read one of the poems in here. So a lot of the poems in here, I reference folk belief. Um, so again, what we would call superstitions, but in folklore, we call it folk belief. And I will read one. So there's uh, an Appalachian belief, but it probably extends into other areas of culture as well, to not name your children before they are born. And I should mention the main uh, protagonist, her name is Ora, O-R-A, and that's actually my granny's real name. <laughs> I borrowed it from her. Um, so this is called Ora Names Her Children Before They Are Born. Ora names her children before they are born, unafraid of the shadow that glides up the mountain approaching the nest. She names them the too close sound of a child's whisper inside her ear. She names them buds on splintery sycamore limbs and the buds curled leaves. She names them after river clay and lightning shapes, after songs she hears from the bucket dropped into the well. She names them turnip and buckeye and leather and bird feather hat and tulip and the yellow color of rooms lit by flame. She names them loneliness that can be rocked to sleep, rooms haunted by dust that crawls in between the floorboards a thunderstorm of starlings crowding out the light. 
She names the fingernails, the knees, pale eyelashes, tiny shoes, caterpillar inching along the branch hung over the roof. And when her upturned hands pile up with names, she pours them onto every pine cone, fallen empty of seed, split through the staves, every fur tuft stuck to bark, every quill hollow poked through the pillow. She plants them until they return, stitched to the ridgeline bones. They tell her not to name them. Interesting. So that is a um, uh, an Appalachian... Um, you called it again uh, a folk belief. A folk belief not to name your children before they're born. Uh, did, did that happen in your family? Um, I believe we were all probably named before we were born. Um, it does not bode well for our character Aura and her children. However, we find later in the book. My goodness! All right, uh, that's Sarah McCart Jackson. She's our guest today on Think Humanities podcast. Uh, she is a member of our. Uh, Speakers Bureau from Kentucky Humanities, and we're going to hear more from her uh, after we take a brief pause to hear from our good friends at Spalding University. Spalding University's low residency MFA in creative writing offers one-on-one faculty attention in a supportive literary community. Study fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction, writing for children and young adults, or writing for TV, screen, and stage. Stay at Louisville's historic Brown Hotel during week-long residencies or travel on short-term study abroad. Flexible scheduling and affordable tuition put a top-tier MFA in reach. Learn more at spalling.edu MFA or email schoolofwriting at spalling.edu. Sarah McCart-Jackson joins us on the uh, podcast today. Uh, she is a member of our Speakers Bureau. Uh, Sarah is uh, trained as a, uh, as a folklorist, uh, as, a, as a poet, uh, as a naturalist. Uh, she has traveled extensively and, and written uh, quite a lot in her life and uh, is now working on a, a new collection and does a couple of talks for uh, Kentucky Humanities uh, and our Speakers Bureau. Uh, one of those is called uh, Right Where You Are, uh, Poetry in Place. You do uh, emphasize um, a lot about um, writing about place. Uh, I think that that most people who uh, write in Kentucky or maybe have attended a class at a uh, an MFA program or at a, uh, a literacy center like the Carnegie or uh, something uh, anywhere in the state, uh, we've all sort of learned and heard uh, write what you know. Uh, we also hear a lot about writing about place. Uh, that's usually something that's emphasized. Uh, poetry in place. What do you uh, what do you tell us in in the talk that you give uh, for Kentucky Humanities uh, about this uh, particular subject? So for this talk, I consider a lot about our connection to place and how that changes over time, I think for a lot of people. So again, for me, I'm from Lexington, but my family is from a different region. So I talk a little bit about how when I grew up in Lexington, uh, we, we kind of have an accent that my other friends didn't have. And um, all my friends would call their grandparents like grandparents or grandma or grandpa and we called them granny and papa so that was just a little different just little things like that that we grew up with that was just a little different we have sunday 
dinner every Sunday at my granny's house. Just a little bit of difference between like our our city life and then like our country life. Um, and I feel that way now too, uh, that I live in Louisville. I don't really consider myself a city person, but I've been living in the city for a long time now. Um, so I talk a little bit about, not just for me, but how everybody sort of has different different places that we belong to, but that doesn't mean that you belong less to any of those places. You, we belong to all the places that are home to us. Uh, do you happen to know or have you ever heard uh, one of our uh, board members and a professor uh, at, uh, in fact, she's head of linguistics at the University of Kentucky, Jennifer Kramer, talk about uh, accents and uh, speech dialect uh, from uh, all over the Kentucky, all over the world. She's from Louisville, but she studies Appalachian dialect. Uh, have you ever heard her speak? I haven't, but I'm you, very interested in that. Yeah. You would be really interested in her studies and, and what she's found over her uh, career as a, a linguist. And uh, that's almost... Um, uh, she would probably not appreciate me saying this, but uh, it's almost as obscure uh, a study as being a folklorist, uh, being a linguist. Uh, but but there's plenty of room for both of you still in this world. Let's hope. And uh, as um, as members of the humanity uh, humanities community, um, so she she does talk a lot about uh, that and and accents that people and uh, colloquialisms and uh, sayings that you you mentioned about dinners and suppers and and uh, what 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 people are uh, are are called in different parts of the of the country she also does something on uh, uh, the rap vernacular and and how uh, that uh, science of language has uh, but anyway that that's uh, that's her talk and and maybe someday you can you can meet Jennifer Kramer dr. Kramer um, so in in looking at this uh, poetry in place uh, Sarah, do you find that um, is is that true? Your your emphasis with your family is is Eastern Kentucky. Have you traveled enough in the Commonwealth to know that uh, that same uh, you find that same thing in Western Kentucky or or farther down in Central Kentucky? I do. I, I find that with a lot of people, especially um, like I had I I moved away for college and I went to several different programs so I was we had to we moved every few years and so you have to reacclimate yourself every time you go somewhere but you're surrounded by other people who are doing the same thing so that's something that we all have in common but um, I was part of the Kentucky Rural Urban Exchange have you heard of that yes it's uh -huh. an amazing program it changed my life um, and it takes really in in what ways well <laughs> um, just the people that you meet are, it's all about social capital. So it's about building your community and it's about not just your, your local community, but learning about other people in other places all across the state. And it, it does such a great job of integrating, uh, di you know, very different communities to have really tough conversations that matter, that just reverberate um, to this day. So I did the program maybe five years ago, and I still am partnering with people that I met there. We're still making wonderful, creative things. Um, and more specifically, one night we were talking and just sort of 
what would you like to do if you could do anything for any amount of money? And I said, oh, I think I would love to teach kindergarten. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and somebody said, you can do that. And so I did. I, I, that very next day, I applied for my master's and became a kindergarten teacher. Just the idea that you can be fully supported by mm-hmm. people who seem to be strangers, but we're all Kentuckians. Mm-hmm. And that's a really big part of this idea about the poetry of place because we all come from different places but then every time you're together in a group like that you're creating your own new place mm-hmm. such a great program are you still teaching kindergarten is that is that your day job so yeah my day job for the past four years was teaching kindergarten i recently just very recently took a new position with the kentucky department of education as a literacy coach for the state oh wonderful yeah well, congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, um, uh, again, uh, Sarah uh, McCart Jackson is our uh, guest. Uh, she's a member of our Kentucky Humanities Speakers Bureau. Uh, she has uh, a vast background in uh, writing and uh, a combination of uh, poetry and uh, many other forms. Um, she's available to uh, come to your uh, group Um and by the way, the Kentucky Rural um, um, Urban Exchange is still very much alive and well. Uh, I get emails from them all the time. And maybe I need to be a little bit more uh, intent about uh, looking into their um, what they're doing and, and uh, maybe have them on uh, as a guest on the podcast. Do you think that would be a good idea? Absolutely. It's for everybody. It's for people all over Kentucky. They would be awesome to have on. Yeah, good. Okay. Well, Sarah, uh, uh, good luck to you. Congratulations again on uh, your new position. And uh, we will uh, wish you the best and look forward to having you um, again in the Speakers Bureau and uh, hopefully um, uh, a good life and uh, great writing ahead for you. Thank you so much. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 51 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.